Welcome to Three Devs and a Maybe, the podcast series for beginner web developers and general web enthusiasts. Now, introducing your show hosts, Michael Budd, Fraser Hart, Lewis Keynes, and Ed Mann. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Three Devs and a Maybe. I'm joined uh, by my usual co-host, Ed Mann. Hello. And uh, we have a special guest on today in the form of Simon Hollywell. So, hi, Simon. How are you doing? Hello. It's great to be here. Um, doing well. Oh, good, good. Thanks so much for coming on and uh, giving us your spare time to come and talk to us about functional programming. Yeah. So, I can't get my words out tonight. Functional programming. <laughs> Some would uh, say you're in a bit of a funk. That's definitely going to be edited out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, looking forward to grilling you with some questions on functional programming. Uh, and we should say as well, unfortunately, uh, Lou is not with us tonight. He's snowed under with work. And it kind of occurred to me this morning that we've not really updated people on the Fraser situation, have we? He's still in America. And I think he's coming back tomorrow. Or yes. yeah, it'll be tomorrow for us, but this will be probably the next week. So he'll be, he would have been back from. Yeah, since yeah. Thursday. <laughs> so depending when this comes out, you may have already heard from him or not, but he is coming back soon and he is in one piece and alive. So uh, what's his face? He should be back with us soon. So, uh, yeah, uh, this week's podcast then is going to be on functional programming, as I say. And uh, Simon is, uh, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, a bit, bit of an expert on the matter or certainly more of an expert than I am. And it's definitely an area of programming that I am completely new to and I have very little knowledge. I'm I know Ed knows a lot more again than I do, but uh, hopefully we can just a uh, basic kind of exploration of the uh, of the subject and just give people who have never had any experience of functional programming a little taste of what it is and why they might want to use it. So I guess probably a good place to start would be, Simon, would you mind giving a little bit of introduction um, for yourself? Sure. I mean, I'm a lead developer at a company in Brighton in the UK called uh, Mosaic, and um, we do mostly PHP stuff. Uh, apps and, and websites um, and we're a reasonably small team but we pump out some really nice stuff um, not really using functional code there at the moment but um, we're, we're on our way <laughs> <laughs> bringing it in slowly but surely <laughs> that's right so it's something that uh, functional program is more a personal um, kind of hobby of yours I guess um, yeah I guess that's a, a fair way to put it, it is um, and uh, I guess I've been programming in, in Scala a bit, um, and uh, that doesn't necessarily fit well with the, the development team we've got at the moment. Um, so I looked at, uh, you know, things that could be transferred over to PHP and what you could do there. Um, and whilst we've implemented some sort of functional stuff, um, it tends to be um, a bit more difficult for new people to pick up than your standard PHP OO stuff that everybody's seen before. Do you want me asking what, what's your kind of, uh, your, your history in terms of what languages you learnt first and, and how you, you got into functional side of things? Sure. I mean, I started out learning a bit of HTML in high school, basically to throw a website together. Um, and from there, I think we learnt Pascal and, Yay, um, Pascal back <laughs> in the day. Um, oh, I don't know. Before that, of course, it was Logo, the very beginning of the little old BBC computer. Um, but, uh, and then um, it would have been Java, I guess, at university and some Visual Basic. But sort of through that time, I'd been building websites on my own. And, you know, I needed, um, just as Rasmus, I needed a guest book. So PHP was pulled out and <laughs> strapped into the site. Um, you know, it's that kind of thing, you know, where everybody, I, I don't know whether you guys did the same sort of thing, but 
around that time, everybody took their, their hobby or whatever and turned it into a website. So in my case, it was a skateboarding website. Um, and, uh, I think a couple of my friends did mountain bike websites or whatever. And, uh, and there, so yeah, I went off to university, did Java, um, and sort of kept doing PHP in the background. And actually my sort of final year project was a, a PHP, um, e-commerce website and then sort of PHP just made sense because that's where the jobs were and it meant that I could uh, work in agencies uh, easily and uh, not be doing the same thing all the time. So yeah, so what version then of PHP did you come in at then? Yeah, so I started with PHP 3. Hey, um, day. <laughs> so it really was quite simplistic and, you know, mashing uh, your query straight into your HTML. Lots of includes, yep. And, uh... Yep, exactly. Um yeah, as soon as you discovered that you could do an include, that everything was an include. Yeah, it's um, like the dry principle. I could do it now. <laughs> um, but uh, and, and then sort of, as I said, I picked up Java and uh, followed sort of uh, the implementation of Java, Zoho, and PHP from then on, really, um, and uh, stuck with it. Got a got a job doing PHP stuff, and it's kind of been what I'm doing ever since. But um, on the side, I've been programming in other languages like Python and so on for just for personal interest. And more recently, that led to um, Scala and, and functional programming. Very good. So what, what drew you to Scala in particular? Really simple, really. I uh, saw that the, the guys up at The Guardian were doing a course on Coursera with um, um, Martin yep. Oderski. And so I thought I might as well do that as well. And because um, before that, I kind of said, oh, it's a- academia. I don't really need to look at that. Um and, uh, yeah, so just went from there, really did both the courses and um, picked up a lot of stuff and just started seeing how that could be uh, incorporated into PHP. Because I, I did the course as well. It's really good, weren't they? I think, did you do the reactive one as well? That's right. Yeah, yeah I did the reactive oh, one afterwards. I still need to do that one. That one looks really cool as well. That one is, that one's good. It's got um, three instructors in that one. Um, and, Eric, the uh, Eric guy, the guy with the crazy t-shirts on. That's where I remember him from, from the... Uh, that's right eric meyer yeah yeah yeah. if you do the course you'll hear all about the happy path as well oh brilliant so i suppose the first question really like from the function is what is functional programming i think that's kind of what people normally think why do i care about it you've got all object orientated and stuff like that and why should we care about functional programming yeah so good question i guess the thing that is interesting from my point of view is that uh it's a way of I mean, there's so many different ways you can explain it, and some of them get really complicated. Um, uh, but the easiest way I find, and the most shocking way, is just to say it's essentially programming without a state to a, to a certain degree, and trying to make what you are working with mutable, so that um, you, you don't then start assembling global state, which you have to, you know, you build this rickety tower of OO stuff that you have to <laughs> assemble before your tests come along. Um, yeah. So that, that's kind of what it's avoiding. And the, the nice outcome of that is that when done nicely, you can make um, concurrent programming easier. So that's not something that maybe PHP's um, sort of core focus is directed at. But in the future, I mean, if we want to start making use of those cores and all the computing power that they bring, we may need to start thinking about that. And I think you had a, a previous guest on before who was doing um, P-threads. Yes, yeah, Joe yeah. Wilkins. So um, there's some work in that direction. P-threads looks, looks really nice. Um, so functional programming could help to avoid collisions in those um, in those threads. Try, yeah, trying to remove that kind of problem that the big OO, I think is the whole problem was we, we used to think, oh, it's vertically scaling. <laughs> we would just get 
faster servers and everything but then we realized oh no not anymore uh server people can't help us anymore so now we have to kind of think horizontally and as you say like concurrency and splitting things out parallel you know stuff so yeah it's kind of gone into our hands now where we have to start thinking of this that's right and i mean i haven't had a chance to check out pthreads but i really want to i really really want to <laughs> it is very cool <laughs> i was gonna say i I kind of, uh, obviously, as Ed knows, I just, uh, one of the modules I did in my last term at uni was, uh, concurrency and parallelism. We tended to use Java for the majority of it. And I was really hoping that we would have played with some functional languages, but we did a, a very little bit with, um, Oc and Py, which I don't think is greatly known language, but, but yeah, I, it was, it was quite difficult. And you know, like you say, the idea of states, you know, as soon as you start playing with it, you realize it is quite an obstacle. And things can go horribly wrong. And, uh, it was explained to me, obviously, that functional languages is a great way to, to kind of counteract that, but we didn't really have enough playing time with that to try and to see the advantages. But like all the threading, I mean, the OO world of synchronized blocks and volatile and all this stuff. Well, uh, yeah. Like Java seems like it has all the tools to help you yeah, do it. It doesn't just, seem like necessarily the best way, I guess. It's like a, local it, threads and yeah. It can get quite um messy yeah. <laughs> to oh, put yeah. it and testing it and stuff and it's quite yeah, unpredictable. So w- with this removal of state, I suppose that the, one of the questions for a very imperative mind person who thinks to know, how do I get stuff done? It's like, how do I loop through things? Surely I need state and, you know, local variables to be able to store things, accumulators and stuff. What What possible thing could I do without this? Yeah, so that's a, a good question. I mean, there's a number of ways that you can take, um, I guess, what you'd usually encapsulate in a, in a class, maybe some, some data and pass it around between functions. So you can pass it in as parameters, of course, as we all know, you can, um, pass it back out as a return value. If, if you want to avoid, um, accumulators and state and so on, you can use things like recursion. Um, and, the beauty of recursion is that you can use it really plainly just to loop over like a for loop, or you can use it to build um, nested tree structures like uh, representations of the file system, um, where you know that function is is reusable. Whereas if you were going to do that with a for loop, you'd have have to have maybe nested for loops or something like that to facilitate the same the same structure. Um, so the the idea is with recursion, you have a function that then calls itself or it calls itself via another function once it's once once it's finished operating so that uh, you in the case of an array for example you could have a function that takes in an array and every time it recurses it passes in the same array again with the um, tail value dropped off so that the next time it gets the next value yep. if that makes sense yeah it's kind of like thinking of it more um like what I want to do instead of how to do it, isn't it? Where it's like this actually, and you can explain it. Look, this is what it's doing. It's, you know, probably printing off the head and then just returning saying, I want to then call whatever the tail was and then have your base case just saying, look, if it's empty now, don't worry about it. Exactly, exactly. And the thing is then you you then are able to create abstractions around that so that the same recursive function can work on different shapes of information. And I mean, that's, that's, it's all about reusability and making these functions as generic as possible. The generics as, you know, obviously everyone knows that from the Java and all those worlds. So it's the idea of, yeah, being able to reuse these in type, type classes and all that fun stuff. But I suppose the, the one trouble is, and you will probably will find this when you're doing stuff like, especially out on the JVM and in PHP is stack overflows and stack frame overflows because you're calling a function all the time and you're creating up all these frames that each function has a frame. 
um, then obviously what happens is it builds up and then it hasn't got, it's not, these languages weren't really made for that kind of work. I was wondering, is that some, have you, had you, have you find, found that in PHP that you've kind of battled that, that kind of problem? Um, you, I mean, you can hit it. I, I personally never have, but that's probably because I'm not working with big enough data. I'm not cool enough, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but other languages have, have developed ways, um, ways around it. And, um, one of the ways you can do it is with something called tail recursion, which is difficult to explain. It's a lot easier to read some code, but um, essentially it allows the compiler to short circuit the recursion because it can see the direction the result's going in, essentially. So it can return a result faster with less recursion. Um, the, the thing is, with, with like you say, with recursion, if you have a really, really massive data set or you um you know you don't have a very good exit condition then you'll reach the um the limit really quickly um but the same thing can be said of a while if you have a while loop that's while true it will <laughs> that's so true isn't it? yeah <laughs> absolutely I, I mean i commonly think of a tail like the, the the way i kind of try and read with tarot really what it's trying to do is convert this recursive function into just a while well yeah just a while loop really where it's just able to reuse that stack frame again and again without having as you say to kind of build up this kind of nested kind of hell of yeah we're going to use up all the memory so i was like what um like uh, we were talking about like scala is that like, what other functional languages are there um well <laughs> there's there's a language for everyone i guess yeah. um <laughs> there's you know you can write functional code in in php you can write functional code in python you can write functional code in um, javascript um, anything that supports a closure will allow you to create quite complicated functional code. Um, there are languages that are more focused at making pure functional code like Haskell. Um, and they are sort of more true to the mathematics behind functional programming. Yeah. And then, cause I think that, I mean, do you, uh, have you ever used those languages? Would you ever consider them kind of going that route? Or do you feel you always will would like the idea of having a bit of imperative kind of nature in a language? Um, I have programmed a bit of Haskell. Uh, I don't think it's something I could use professionally just now. Um, because I don't know anyone else who programs in it. That so. is, it is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's quite hard to find then the IO monads and all that stuff. And yeah. Yeah. I, like getting some, even getting people with, with Scala experience is really difficult. Really, really difficult. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't see it being a professional. I mean, I do, I do look at it and I run, um, Xmono, which is a, a tiling window manager all written in Haskell on, on my Linux machine. So I configure that all in, That's in Haskell. Cool. Oh, I use yeah. um, I use Awesome at the moment. I was thinking about Xmonad, but I start. I, awesome is another tiling window manager. Yeah, I love tiling window managers. They are the greatest. They're really nice. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's going to be a really stupid question, and you'll probably just want to shout "idiot" at me. But um, I'm hopefully just representing all the people who are listening who don't have a clue about functional programming. But I'll say I'm quite ignorant to the whole thing, really. But uh, just listening to you guys talking about recursion, and obviously, I think you kind of touched on this, but obviously, the, the kind of thing that people always mention when you talk about recursion is okay it's very powerful but potentially very dangerous and from this small amount of experience that i that i do have which is minimal but um when i was playing with a language or compile it was a compiled language and the thing that a lecturer would always say to us is look it's very hard to compile uh, a program in in Occupy because the compiler was so strict and it would look out for things like starvation uh deadlock all that kind of things for you but obviously i'm aware that you don't have that luxury in PHP. So is that something that, obviously Ed was talking about the nightmare of testing uh, 
concurrent programming in Java, which is true. But is it, how do you begin to test in something like PHP for uh, recursive loops, that kind of thing? That's, yeah, that's a difficulty of a dynamic language. You, you're kind of stuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because you, you, you're parsing it at runtime. Um, yeah. And that's where, that's why I look at Scala and, and, and Haskell and so on. Obviously, they're compiled languages and they, they do all those optimi- machine optimizations to make your code run faster and, you know, warn you of um, impending doom before yeah. it's compiled and, and thrown out there as a, as a shared library. So with PHP, the only way really with, to, to, with a recursion, recursive loop like that is to, to run it, I, I think maybe, maybe you could get something in, in PHP mess detector or something to do it, but I don't think it exists at the moment. I'm not sure. So is it, I mean, I don't know if I'm being unfair here, but is it fair to say that functional programming in PHP isn't something that comes naturally to it? That it's something that's, it's almost tacked on or? Well, I guess PHP didn't have closures until relatively recently. Um, yeah. and, and anonymous functions. So it is something that's been, slowly added in and there's to my mind although i may be wrong there's resistance in the in the internals group to adding <laughs> uh functional stuff uh, really wow yeah where pulling in um sort of mimicking some of the java uh, syntax for um oo uh, side of things was more accepted um and i guess the thing is with the functional stuff you're aiming at a very or maybe maybe that's unfair a smaller target market than you are with the OO stuff. So PHP it has is installed all over the place. Um, but of all the people that are using it, there's a select few doing functional and most people are doing OO. So if you're going to spend a lot of time building new features into the language and then supporting them and writing tests for them and all that sort of uh, yeah. stuff that's required to maintain the language, then you're going to go for features that everybody's using, uh, would be my, my guess. And so, yes, PHP has got closures but their syntax isn't as nice as as haskell and it that you know it, it won't be um and it'll never be a compiled well I never say never but it's unlikely <laughs> yeah, yeah. to be yeah. a compiled language it, you know it, it may be compiled um and, and cached um or jittered but yeah so it is it is something that is, is a little bit on the edge of php's core competency <laughs> and has has rasmus said what his opinion is on bringing more kind of uh, functional syntax into the into the core I, or does he sit on the fence i haven't really i don't know i haven't i haven't seen anything about that i think yeah. um his general take on the whole thing is not to add any features yeah. um, <laughs> it's done you know, it's like there we go in stone frozen exactly php2 was done yeah. you know um it, and you don't need oo you don't need frameworks you just you know use functions use includes that's you know, from look, cause he, there was a project that was, um, released by, I think it was WePay when he was working there called WePloy. And I looked at it cause I thought, oh, it's a PHP deployment. Um, you know, everybody's using Capistrano. Let me have a look at the PHP one that you know, Rasmus has built. And, um, that's all it was, was really functions and, and, and all sort of thrown together. Um, so, you know, he, he may <laughs> obviously. Um, think differently, but th- from the outside, that's how it appears to me. Okay, that's interesting because I think we've had other people on the show kind of say similar things. So. Yeah, I think yeah, kind of stated that kind of the same like opinion that yeah, I don't think he, as you say, he probably would have liked PHP two, and that would be it. And uh, 
But I think it's nice, though, that he's kind of allowed that these people want it in. If more people want it in than not, then, yeah, it will go in. So, you know, and I think I think the thing is, it's like this, this is so new kind of, I mean, functional. I mean, this is the thing. Why are we only doing functional programming now? Like, how long has it been around for? It's been around decades. I guess, um, yeah, well, it definitely has. I mean, probably one of the first or well, the first language was probably Lisp in the 1950s. Wow. I thought and it was like 70s. So it goes back even further, 50s. Yeah. And before that, it was... Um, sort of all formalized mathematics it wasn't actually runnable um languages so that is insane isn't it lisp and then obviously yeah that's crazy and haskell came in like 1980s same as erlang was that erlang, the 80s or? erlang was 80s yeah and then i mean this is the thing like now i mean we all kind of it's hard because what you then get is people in like two cats you know thinking oh i'm a functional guy or i'm an oo guy and that's when I kind of like a language like Scala, which you can see some code written in Scala and people are like, well, what is going on here? But if you do it right, you can take the best of both paradigms, like the way of thinking of OO for certain problems is good, but then also adding in the functional goodness as well. And I think that kind of is where I think it will win out, where you can do a bit of both. I'm not sure if you two kind of agree with that, maybe, or do you think maybe we should be more thinking of a functional thing solely? Um, Scala's nice and it, it, it does what it does quite well. And like you say, it's nice to be able to dip in and out of um, OO, particularly as you're, especially as you're learning. The other advantage of being on the JVM, of course, is you've got access to all the libraries that have been written in Java. Yep, that's so true. Um, and again, in the Microsoft space, you've got F Sharp uh, on the .NET platform, and again, you can access all the all the libraries through F Sharp than you can through C Sharp, and you can mix um, C Sharp and F Sharp. So there's a, there's a similar <laughs> there's there's the Microsoft and there's the the, the JVM. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're, they're both quite similar. I think quite a bit of work in 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 going towards having languages that combine both paradigms. And like like you say, you've got your sort of um, one of a better word extremists that will say that you know haskell isn't good enough we need something pure That's more it. pure than haskell <laughs> yeah we can't do any io no monad yeah. no <laughs> it's not pure anymore i guess for me i'm kind of thinking what's going to be around in in 10 20 years time and uh i think like most people agree like obviously the, the jvm will still be around don't know what form java will be in or whether it'll still be around or but something like scala probably seems something for me, I'd be more interested in, whereas I know people rave about Erlang, but then I have to think about in terms of my career and everything. I, I guess I, I don't see that many jobs out there for Erlang. It's a niche pro, it is a niche language, but it solves the, the problem, which is like the Ericsson yeah. kind of network, telephone networking and stuff really well. Yeah. Um, so when, when you need it, you, and then you need, you actually need that kind of, it solves it perfectly. But as you say, it's kind of, I think that's where OO still kind of, is really useful and popular today because it solves a lot of problems yeah some you know and everyone thinks everyone's kind of been the whole 90s kind of was let's just you know pretty much force everyone down the oo path oo is the only way for better or worse and you know we went from procedural to oo and now we're kind of thinking more functional kind of in you know the kind common you know you can talk about it now and stuff do you think that we wouldn't be having this conversation then if if like you say obviously with the issue of um now going down the the parallel route and trying to That's get performance point, out of that actually. way. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, Simon, do you, do you think we would uh, be going functional if we did if we didn't have to? Um, I think I think we still would. I think closures are so 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 useful. They would have been added to PHP at some point, even if someone what didn't have an eye on concurrency. And I, I'm not even sure that whoever contributed that did. Um, so. Yeah, we would definitely be talking about functional PHP, uh, functional programming, even if um, we were not concerned about concurrency, I think. 
Uh, random tangent. What, what do you think of uh, PHP's implementation of closures with like the use keyword? Are you a fan of that, or would you prefer not to see that, not having to declare what you're going to use inside that function or that closure? Sorry. I like the fact that it's explicit. Yep. I like. Good, yeah. I like. Um, but I don't like the fact that I can't alias those That's, those variables inside the function. That is very good point. Yeah, I've never actually thought of that. Yeah, that should. Yeah, I, I do. As the same with you. I do like the fact we explicitly say because you can look at some code. Uh, like in a language like JavaScript even, and be confused, like, where's this variable coming from? Oh, it's already in this scope. Um, I suppose actually we probably should explain what a closure is. Um, okay, so let's say three types of functions in PHP. You've got your standard function, which you have to give a name. You've got a Lambda function or anonymous function, which you say, like, um, you assign a function to a variable effectively. And then you've got a closure, which is like a anonymous function, but you can pass in some state from the current program into that, into that function for you to reuse. And a common thing, uh, a common way or common reason for doing that is, um, passing in lambda functions as, um, you know, variables in that use statement you were mentioning, mentioning a moment ago. Um, those, the value of those variables set at the time of the functions declaration. So when it's later called, those values will be the same as when they were declared. You know, they don't get overridden later on in the program. So it's basically injecting the current state of a variable at declaration time into into a function where you can make use of it. And that's, again, that makes all these side effects and you don't have any of these weird bugs that come up if you're, yeah, it's all there at that time. And I suppose another thing with functional stuff is immutability. The idea of like immutable lists and stuff like that that don't change, they just, they, they're, they're clever in the way they do, but they in a sense make a copy of themselves or what's changed. So you never actually affecting one list. You can, you don't have that problem of I'm, you know, kind of interfering with the whole synchronized thing where, you know, you're having to hold onto the shared resource. Um, but you can still do that if you want, like with shared, uh, SM, uh, like software transactional memory and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, that's right. We, we don't want to talk about that though, because, uh, PHP doesn't have very good support. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I was thinking, <laughs> ah, let's move on from that. Uh, one thing it does have good support for though is higher order functions. I'm right in thinking a higher order function, all that is, is just a function that takes a function as an argument or returns a function. Yeah, in the simplest form. Yeah. yeah. I think we then, because with JavaScript, everyone's like, JavaScript's great, you know, you can do all this stuff, you can pass around functions as if they're just first-class citizens and stuff, but you can do that in PHP as well. And I think, uh, obviously, you can do, you've done it, been able to do it since 5.3, but I still think people don't get that and don't understand that they can do that. Yeah, that's right. It's um, very, very powerful and like I say, you know, you can, you can pass functions in as, as parameters to functions, but like you were talking about a moment ago, you can, um, pass them in as, um, state to the closure as well. Um, the handy thing about it is it allows you to sort of, uh, you know, you can easily create things like uh, copies of a array map and, and so on where you're, t you're passing in a list and a function to operate on that list. So by, um, creating a higher order function, you, you can re recreate that in your, in your own code for your own specific, um, use case or your own abstraction. Um, so yeah, they, they, they help you build highly expressive code. And in Haskell and Scala, it looks really nice. That's it. <laughs> um, I was going to say that that, that is the way the syntactic sugar in other languages definitely, uh, leaves, uh, PHP behind. Yeah. It, it's, it's a little, <laughs> it's a little bit, disappointing but then it's where php comes from and again javascript 
isn't that elegant to look at. That's very true as well. I mean, it's a C-like language, isn't it? And that's kind of where they're keeping the, the keywords and stuff looking the same. Um, they've kind of had to go down that route. I suppose actually talking about poetry, what editions uh, would you like? I mean, this is kind of in this fictional world, like the editions you'd like to see in PHP in regard to like functional programming. Are there a couple of things maybe from the Scala world or Haskell world? There are a lot of things. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I guess the main thing would be really getting generics from hip hop PHP into oh, PHP. That would be cool, yep. Um and it would be nice to have pattern matching, but we can kind of live without it, but it would be nice to have it and there has been a proposal for it oh, um, really? previously. Yes, there has. Um so and it's it's nice to see that we've got we're getting generators. We've got generators. So um I mean off the top of my head I can't really say what my favorite feature would be that we're missing, but um, it would definitely be nice to have generics and pattern matching. Generics would be very cool. I think they're kind of holding up. I mean, they held off on the whole, um, I think Joe Watkins and Phil Sturgeon were part of like the array of kind of thing, typing on, type hinting on arrays. And the other reason was yeah. because of generics. So hopefully, fingers crossed, we do get generics one day. So I have a, a quick question uh, for both of you, really, I guess. But I uh, I have a friend who... He's a Java programmer and he started mixing in a little bit of Scala. Uh, I don't have first-hand experience of Scala, but I know he was doing this and I know he had a, not a complaint, but someone had a little word with like one of the, uh, the project managers or scrum master, whatever they have. And basically said, look, we don't know what he's doing. We don't understand what he's, he's wrote. And the, the project manager was kind of like, well, that's your problem. You need to keep up and learn Scala, which I thought was really cool. Sounds great. And I'm just trying to think like from let's put it like in the in like the PHP perspective, but if say uh, someone starts going down the functional route and they start putting all this code and then the other four programmers are diehard OO programmers and they don't understand what's going on, who do you think's got the problem there and uh, what's the solution, I guess? I guess because uh Simon, so you said you don't use fun- functional programming at work, is that right? Or not to a great extent no i mean uh, array maps and recursion and um that sort of thing of course but um anything more complicated not really i mean i is that for that reason or is it different reasoning it's there are a number of a number of reasons for it you know one of them being that once you get to a certain point it can become inelegant php um that's a very nice way of putting it (laughs) yeah (laughs) i think that's a very nice way of putting it yeah so yeah, I mean, and that's that's one way. The other, the other thing is trying to bring um, people on board who understand it. You know, like you say, a lot of people have seen an anonymous function when they're throwing it into um, SPL autoload register, and that's about it. So unless they've had JavaScript experience, they won't have seen sort of event an evented architecture or anything like that before. So it won't make as much sense. You know, having said that, I do know of a, of a company, I can't mention the name, but they yeah. have a system in PHP. Their whole team's PHP, um, and they're rewriting their system. The, the sort of, they've recently had a change at the top, and that person wanted everything written in Java. Uh, people push back, and they've ended up writing it in Scala. Nope. So there's no reason why a team of PHP devs couldn't move over to, to writing Scala. Obviously, they've, Put training and support in place to to encourage it, but um, I think it's very very dangerous to turn around and say I'm OO only. I never want yeah. to learn anything new. I think that would be a mistake. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, that was that was my feeling too. But um, 
it's just it's interesting. I guess it depends on the, the context. And again, it's like you say that that company's got time to do the training. If it's a small agency who hasn't got that kind of budget, it could be kind of hard, I guess. And I think also, I think you can kind of like, I mean, you can use like all the, as you were saying, like array map and all those things and start using those and you'll start to learn, oh, and it's the way of being able to generalize these functions that because you're passing in a function that gets mapped, to, it maps over the, the collection and stuff, you'll get to, you're using this generality, which is like generics, but in such a nice way that this function can be used in so many different ways now that the, the, the opportunity for doing anything with it really, because the fact that you all, all it does is literally maybe like the map one loops over it and just, you know, calls that function and returns whatever whatever that value is and then stuff like filtering and stuff like that so there are things in php that you can use so say you know like in an array is why not instead of you know having a for loop that you probably i mean the typical way you see it is like going for each of them and maybe return you know just changing the assignment on but array map is a better way of doing it because that you know it's more kind of declaratively this is what i want to do i'm mapping over that oh i know now i'm mapping over that with this function and that's what I'm doing on each instance of it. Whereas with the other way, with the imperative way, what you're doing is you're kind of telling it how to do it, where, but then that could be a lot more lines of code. And also there's a lot more problem, like there's more areas that could cause issues. Yeah, I think also, you know, holding the compiler's hand gets a bit boring. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Exactly. They know how to do it. I think another thing that I found people get confused with is get into grips that functions aren't special because we all have this kind of, especially in our world, the OO world and imperative world, that a function is this special thing that, you know, you declare it and you call it. But the idea that you can actually just pass it around as a variable, it's like, it's as good as an integer now to me, or it's as good as a Boolean. People kind of don't get that. I think I find that there's a bit more kind of restriction, like that's weird. Why can a function just be a value? You know, it's, it's special, surely. One of the things I was going to ask you is um, having a look at your site before uh, uh, we came on, but uh, I see you're writing a book. How's that going? That's right, I am. Um, it's sort of, it takes longer than you expect writing a book. Um, oh, I, yeah, I could expect it to take yeah. a long time, yeah. <laughs> um, writing blog posts is much easier. <laughs> Just to go, I mean, even I struggle with a blog post. I don't know how a full book, that must be a completely different It book. is, and um, you know, a lot more people involved in doing layout and editing and you know all that sort of stuff so it goes through many hands um at the moment i've been told that it's likely um this month in july that it's going to be published um and uh hopefully it is it it's um you know from my perspective it's it's ready um and uh laid out it's got a front cover it's pretty much ready to go um there's just a few little things that need to be tidied up and of course ebook versions of it produced and so on ready to go so, um, but yeah, it's almost there. Um, you know, it, it covers a lot of the things we've already talked about. Um, and some, a lot of stuff we haven't, like monads and things like that as well. That's cool. And so like, and is it, it's directly at the PHP audience with like PHP examples and how you can use it in today's, like in any day programming? Yeah, it is. Um, everything's written well with PHP examples. Um, it, it's all written with, um, PHP 5.3 examples. So anybody, can uh, pick it up and use it. That's very cool. Um, and uh, yeah, so yeah, you just pick it up and and go. You know, if you if your production system is still running an old version of PHP, which quite a few people are, <laughs> you can still you know make use of a lot of the stuff in there. That is absolutely great. Um, one other thing, actually, I suppose this may get a bit kind of technical, but function composition. And I'm just wondering partial application, and maybe that would be quite cool to have that in PHP. But I'm just wondering for the audience, maybe if you don't mind like explaining what that is. Partial function application, um, in its really simplest terms, we'll take it, um, is if you've got a function that takes, say, three parameters, um, but later on when you 
you want to call it, you only want to pass it one parameter, you can create a partial function of, uh, sorry, a partial application of that function um, that defaults the two values and accepts one value as a parameter. So um, the most simple way of doing it is wrapping that function in another function and that will give you yep. a partial function application. The the beauty of that, as as you mentioned, is that when you compose functions, you can um, get two functions that don't look um, like they can be can be composed, but with a little bit of massaging, <laughs> with some partial uh, partialness, they can be. That is good. And that is exactly, yeah, that, that's really the power of functional programming is just thinking of functions as these think tools that you can use again and recompose the amount of different ones. And yeah, I think, I think that's kind of another thing with the functional world compared to uh, the OO world is that functional, we kind of think of, uh, we have simple kind of functions that do one task and they do it well. Uh, in the, fun- in the, in the OO world, we're very much kind of reinventing the wheel all the time. Uh, you know, if like, oh, now I need, you know, maybe, I mean, the whole idea of mapping, you know, so it's like, well, I need a, I need a, you know, kind of a, a, a list that I want to, I want to map over. So I want to go through each of the lists and I just want to print out all the users' names or return all the users' names. You'd make a whole function for that in an OO world or a method for that, you know, in this, you know, get names. But in this world, you can just say, look, I've got my map function and I can just pass it in, uh, you know, an anonymous function that I can then say, this is what I want to do for this. And it's just really generalized in that kind of activity and making it far more expressive. So when someone's looking at code, it's, oh, all you're doing is mapping over that. Yeah, that's right. It's um, very, very handy. One function, just stepping sideways slightly, one function that was added to PHP um, reasonably recently is nice for doing that sort of stuff, even in for loops, um, is the array column um, function. Ah, uh, yeah, Ben Ramsey, I think he... Yes. Yes, awesome. Uh, Mickey, have you got any... Yeah, uh... yeah I was just going to... Um, uh... Ask really, I mean, for anyone who, uh, who really wants to start doing some more functional programming who hasn't touched it yet, aka me, um, <laughs> what's the, other than obviously waiting for your book to come out, which, uh, I will probably almost definitely be buying, but, um, what the, what are the good resources out there for anyone who want, who can't wait for that and wants to get their teeth into it? If specifically for PHP? Uh, I, I was thinking of PHP, yeah, but, uh, if you'd rather talk about any, any other languages, uh, that's fine. To be honest, PHP, there's very, very little, very, very yeah. little. Um, you'd probably be looking at something like, um, Haskell's, uh, learn you a, learn you a Haskell, I think it is, or something like that. Um, it's, it's, it's a book online. It's, um, great name, to, great name. Free, yeah. It's a nice book. It's free to read on, read online. And that would be the easiest access for learning some, some functional code. Um, another option would be if you wanted to learn Scala, uh, Twitter have put out a lot of, um, sort of uh, education documentation that they use to bring their engineers up to speed um, as well, because they use Scala quite extensively through their stack. But so get... PHP, you're out of luck, I'm afraid. <laughs> Until is your that... book comes out, though. Then yeah. We're yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> was that one of the reasons that, that spurred you on to do the book then, that there was a gap there that, that no one had really kind of covered? Yeah, I think so. It, it certainly contributed. Um, yeah. And uh, it was it, it was just... It, an int- also an interesting way of understanding more of PHP, really, um, exploring more and more of PHP because, um, prior, prior to writing it, I never actually had a use for what PHP in PHP world are called functors. They're not real functors. They're function objects. Um, and that, and that is a, a function that has the under under invoke method in it. Uh, sorry, a class that has the under under invoke method in it, basically. 
um, which is a magic method that allows you to call a class kind of like a function. So you can therefore, with this um, class, you could have a more reusable closure, essentially. That is very cool. That is very cool. I haven't actually thought yeah. of that. Yeah, the invoke. Yeah, that would be very cool. Cool. I also saw from your site that you've uh, you did a you've done some talks before, or I've seen the one that PHP Hampshire is that. Is that something you've enjoyed doing or something you're going to be doing more in the future? Um, hopefully I'll do a little bit more in the future. It's, I have enjoyed it. It's, um, you know. Is it nerve wracking getting up on the stage? I always think, hopefully I don't say anything wrong. It definitely <laughs> is. And the worst thing is when you start forgetting the order of your slides. Oh and you no. Can... <laughs> <laughs> so I prepared for this. I've realized so much. Um, but yeah, so I think I've given that talk three times at um, Brighton PHP and PHP Hampshire, like you say, and um, down in uh, Dorset PHP as well. You're quite big on the on the meetup scene. You like going to these kind of events? When I can, to be honest, I don't get an awful lot of time between sort of work and, and family. It, yeah. It, yeah. But um, when I can, I, I try and get to Brighton PHP and um, a couple of other groups in Brighton as well. But it's um, it's a bit of a struggle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Is he... The Brighton one is it quite a big community then, I guess. Um, it's quite a big community, but it's very fragmented, and um, there are a few people. There are quite a lot of people doing PHP, yeah. but the 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 meetup um, doesn't tend to attract as many people as you you might think. Because I think there's a lot of people going to um, there's a Drupal meetup as well. And I think a lot of people are, are going there, and that kind of fragments it a little bit. Um, right. And additionally, I think there's sounds horrible, but maybe less passion in the PHP community in Brighton than there is in, say, the Ruby or Python community in Brighton. The hipsters. Right. <laughs> Those yeah. hipsters, eh? God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, thank you so much again uh, for coming on, Simon. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Simon. Really appreciate you uh, giving up your spare time. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Okay, well, that is the end of uh, this week's episode. So, everyone, we'll speak to you next week. Bye. Cool. Thanks. Bye. You've been listening to Three Devs and a Maybe. You can contact us at contact at threedevsandamaybe.com or follow us on Twitter at the number three, Devs and a Maybe. <laughs>